Welcome to the Rebuilding Podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. This is our second Best of 2012 podcast, and tonight in the show we're going to be talking about our best music of 2012. With me this evening we have Rachel. Hello. And our music editor at the site, Darren. Hello. So now that we've got the introduction out of the way, I'm going to toss things over to Darren, and Darren's going to take us through some of our uh, our thoughts on music in the year 2012. So Darren, take it away. Okay. Um... Yeah, in 2012, we had a lot of new albums, as we always do. Uh, Not too many new bands uh, came onto my radar. A lot of releases from old-time favorites. Um, Let me think of general trends um, in the indie scene, which uh, you probably have noticed I follow very closely. You have a continuation of the trend of a lot more electronic influences and folk influences in music. Little less of the uh, straightforward rock. Um, any of you guys notice any trends in music this year? Aside from pop being terrible. <laughs> um, well, I'll take that to uh, for an example, uh, or to throw out an example of a good pop album from this year. Though technically, I think it would be classified as indie pop. Um, Aloe Darlin's Europe made my honorable mentions list. Uh, for my top albums of the year list. Um, and it's it's a pretty straightforward pop album, I think, for the most part. But I thought it was just really good. So I don't know if it was an all-around terrible year for pop music, though. Perhaps for the Billboard charts, um, which usually don't include our favorite stuff. Rach, what about you? Well, now I'm embarrassed and can't talk about my incredible love for One Direction, you guys. You just ruined it. Rachel has a list of things she wants to talk about in the podcast, and I, <laughs> literally all of it is One Direction. <laughs> no. If, if Sarah was here, she would she would be uh, jumping for joy at the chance to talk about One Direction. I'm kidding. I don't not. actually like One Direction. It's okay, you guys. Don't worry. Um, well, sadly, <laughs> now you've just made Sarah sad if she's listening to this. <laughs> but no, I mean, I I haven't been able to follow music as closely as I would like to this year. But overall, I think that there were a lot of good stuff a lot of good stuff coming out of people who i liked in the past and who just continue to be strong um so yeah i'll i'll take the opportunity darren you said there weren't a lot of new bands you liked um Mm -hmm. and several several of the albums that actually made my top albums list were debut albums from brand new bands so um i'll take a moment to shout out uh alabama shakes debut album came out this year and was fantastic the Lumineers debut album was this year and was fantastic. So I think I think there were some some good new bands this year. Yeah, I haven't been too on top of the new debuts. Um, for the most part, I was paying attention to bands I've already heard of this year, whereas last year I noticed a lot more of the new debuts that were really great. But I think almost all of my yeah, I think all of my top ten artists are kind of long-standing artists. Some of them you know, came out with their third or fourth record, and I only heard it the first time this year, but I don't think there were too many uh, debuts, really. Uh, yeah, any, I, sort uh, of, I sort of always just assume that I'm behind the curve and that everybody who I'm listening to now people have known about for years because I'm old. Yeah, I tend to think that, too, especially as I do get older and... All these bands come out with their bells and whistles, and actually, cool. <laughs> and you scream, but, "Get off my lawn!" Get off my lawn! But no, actually, <clears throat> last year I should say that there were a lot of great debuts. This was more of a uh, surprise. The trend this year seemed to be surprisingly good albums by bands that I don't usually follow as closely. 
Yeah, I think I think there there definitely were some surprises this year, and there were also just another another trend that I think we can talk about is is some some bands that ne- didn't necessarily evolve but still gave great releases nevertheless. I think there's sort of a an evolve or die idea in a lot of music, and I think some of the bands that didn't really do that much to change their sound turned out some great albums this year. Um, I think we're going to talk a little bit later when we talk about our favorite albums about the tallest man on earth, who pretty mm-hmm. much just made a tallest man on earth album. Um, and it was great. Uh, another one of the, my albums that narrowly missed both my albums and songs list, uh, Leonard Cohen, who has basically been making albums that sound pretty much the same for 40 years now, and they're still great. So not, not necessarily uh, – if or albums that didn't necessarily evolve the sound of the band were still some of my favorite albums this year, I think. Yeah, I'll talk more about that Tallest Man on Earth album later, although I think it was a slight evolution. But there are a lot of bands that – you can listen to and they can just make the same album over and over and it's still good. And then there's bands that try to, uh, you know, try something new and you're like, what, what, no, go back, stop. This is awful. Yeah. I think, I think evolving in music is actually almost a risk because in my experience, a lot of the bands that have changed their sound over the course of their careers, I have not liked the new direction as much as I like their old stuff. And I've sort of felt alienated from them as a result. Um, this year, I think, the band that has changed their sound the most that came out with an album this year that was almost a completely new sound for them, uh, Stars, who, Rachel, I know you're a big fan of, mm-hmm. they've gone in a much, you know, poppier direction their last few albums, much, I, I don't want to say upbeat, because that's not the right word, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, faster music, less uh, less depressive, and it just, it doesn't connect with me the way their earlier stuff did, um, and I've, I've become a much, you know, I'm not as big a fan of the bands I used to be because of their new sound. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I don't know if it's just because, you know, when I go to listen to the stars, I I want it to be a certain way and therefore the evolution doesn't work for me. But I was pretty pretty unsatisfied with that album in general. Um, and I think that it's probably, you know, just overall, like Darren, earlier you mentioned how there's, there's been this trend towards more and more electronic music, which is like... I just do not like, which is probably why it was a relatively slow music year for me personally. You know, there there are plenty of albums that weren't electronic this year, right, Rachel? Yeah, but no, I like <laughs> I've been listening to more and more electronic stuff. You know how I like to complain, Jordan. I've noticed, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the uh, upsurge on electronic things. You never, you can never go wrong with too much synthesizer, in my view. Although. That's probably yep. a minority view. Yeah, well, yes, yes, I, uh, you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm i not necessarily a huge fan of electronic. I don't think I'm as down on it as Rachel, but as someone who I can't think of a single electronic album off the top of my head this year that I, that really blew me away. Darren, what were some of your favorite electronic albums this year? Ooh, um, let me think. Do I have these on my orphan? I'll talk about Hot Ship later. They were really one of my top albums of the year. They're uh, always fun. I saw I saw them at Coachella last year, and they I thought they were really good. Yeah, um, then there's this band named Mike Snow that's kind of come into the scene. I'll talk more about them in a bit. They're kind of uh, electronic-y, although a little more rock-oriented. Um, let's see. Who else do we have? Yeah, there were some letdowns by electronic artists I started to like, but... Yeah, it's, uh, I'm just looking at my list of albums that I've listened to all year. Animal Collective, I guess if they're, um, I guess if they're electronic, they're the newest album. I was not a fan of. 
I, I, I've never been able to connect with Animal Collective for various reasons, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I guess in other music news, does anyone know of any bands that uh, broke up this year or had major lineup changes, anything like that? Uh, personally, the only bands I know that broke up are, um, I know that band Jet that I really didn't like broke up. <laughs> uh, and then these, this uh, screamo band I listened to in high school named Under Oath finally kicked the can after being around forever in the in the Christian screamo metalcore scene. But uh, last scene? year we had yeah, all sorts of... A scene of, uh, I was not aware existed. Oh, it's a huge scene. <laughs> Though I guess every scene exists if you look hard enough for it. Yeah, fun story. Actually, like most metalcore artists are on Christian labels. I shouldn't say most, but a lot of them. That's weird. You know, Jesus, like that stuff. You oh, sure. It. Yeah. <laughs> but um, last year we had the retirement of LCD Sound System, uh, the retirement of Bright Eyes as a band, even though Connor Oberst is going to do whatever, uh, the breakup of the White Stripes, and what else? The R.E.M. last year. What? R.E.M. broke up last year, right? Or at least they announced their breakup last year, I guess. I don't know when it was official. Really? I didn't know about that. I never really listened to them past 2000. Well, I mean, it was less a breakup than a we're not going to make new music together anymore. Like, they were, there was no acrimony, but they were like, we're done now. Yeah, speaking of acrimony, I, um, Rilo Kylie had a pretty bad breakup last year, I hear. Um, I, I really, literally every time that Rilo Kylie is a person, not a band, so... The idea of that, them breaking up is is strange to me since I think of them as, as just one human being. <laughs> um, I think I think we are all a bit heartbroken to find out Chumbawamba broke up earlier this year. Oh no! Yes, that one. I was going to bring that one up, you guys. It was a, a band that uh, that you know wrote that one song we all liked like twelve years ago. We're apparently still together until July. <laughs> I hadn't heard of them since that. Uh... A song about drinking. No one had, which is why it's strange that they waited till now to break up. Yes, well, I guess they were finally knocked down and could not get up again. Which everyone oh. said when they broke up. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel, for being incredibly original. No by, problem. By, by everyone, I also mean me, because that was the first thing I tweeted when I found that out. <laughs> and Sam said the exact same thing I just said to you, to me. <laughs> Deja vu. We have fun. <laughs> um, speaking of fun, let's talk about uh, bands that we didn't like that started this year. <laughs> For example, the band Fun, full stop. Oh my god, no. And uh, we had some pretty bad singles. The big single of the summer that you heard every 10 minutes was Call Me Maybe. By a Carly song that made me want to scratch my brain out of my head. If I never hear that song again, I'll be very happy. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree with that. Um, that was actually, if we're going to talk about songs that we hated this year, I think that was the biggest one for me because I, like a lot of people that were around me during the time the song was popular loved it and wanted to sing it and joke about it all the time. And it just like, it graded me. And it's not, you know, I, I think I get a reputation um, perhaps on the website and certainly among my friends for like just hating on pop music, which is not necessarily the case. I think there's a lot of great pop music. Um, Adele's mm-hmm. 21 was my second favorite album of last year, for example, like, I think there's great pop music out there. I just don't think Call Me Maybe was an example of a great pop song. I think it was really grating. Was. It, was, it was annoying more than it was catchy. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was dumb. Um, 
It was bubblegum pop escape. in a bad way, and I'm okay with bubblegum pop when it's good, but it didn't do anything for me. I got the uh, Justin Bieber bump. The Bieber, Bieber bump? Ugh. Not not nearly as important as the Colbert bump, but uh, still can do some things for your career, I guess. Yeah, and uh, what else did we have in pop? We had the uh, Gangnam Style by Psy come out this year, which took the United States by storm and now has the most viewed uh, music video of all time on YouTube. Took over uh, Justin Bieber. That's and terrifying to me. Yeah, I mean, I liked it at first, but apparently it's like being used by corporations now and... So like at, oh, board, man. at board meetings. The man's co-opted it. The man has co-opted Psy. <laughs> and Psy himself is actually very sick of the song. Because Did he also just... Every, I, I feel like he said something really, really like racist and controversial last week, if I recall. I don't pay any attention to Psy or whatever he does. But I think he said something about killing Americans or something horrible. I believe it was a video of an old performance in which he said something about killing Americans. Well, I hope he doesn't try to kill us because he has a lot of followers, um, and I assume that they would organize very quickly into an armed militia. What's weird, though, is I assume that like everyone just loves him for the song. Apparently he has a whole other catalog of music videos and songs, and he's been doing this for years, and everyone just knows him as like, hey, you're that Gangnam Style guy, do the horsey dance, come on, you did it with the head of the UN, <laughs> and he's just like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that alone the fact that you know Ban Ki-moon is getting shouted out for doing Gangnam Style maybe makes it worth it that people are now discussing the UN yeah and I, I mean I, I haven't actually seen the video because again like I said I don't follow Psy at all um, I did not know what the song sounded like until uh, I, I think I heard it blaring out of a frat house that I was walking by on my way to uh, class one day, and I, I said, oh, this is what everyone's been talking about. Um, so I'm, mostly I'm out of the, the loop pop culture music-wise, or pop music-wise, because I just, if it's at the top of the charts, I usually don't listen to it unless I found it on my own. I don't listen to the radio all that often. I mostly say, oh, this album sounds like something I might be into, and listen to that. So I'm, I'm the worst in terms of pop music. But you, Darren, you've been doing a... Uh, Darren versus Top of the Pops, a feature for us on Review Name, where you mm-hmm. actually listen to like the top ten Billboard songs, and you're a brave, brave man for doing that. It's painful. I mean, a lot of these songs you hear out at bars and clubs and all that, and you're like, oh, okay, they're playing. I'm a law now. student. I don't get to go outside that often. Yeah, if you, I mean, some of them they even play at like the supermarket and such. <laughs> Safeway, Safeway loves Maroon Five. Safeway I mean, loves Maroon Five, huh? Yeah. I haven't been in a safe way in a long time. Do you just never leave the house? No, I, I um, eat knowledge about laws. That's how I survive. A good diet. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, I guess I'll close a section on pop music now, and we can go into albums that kind of let us down in 2012. Uh, to start with, I'll, I guess I'll start. Um... Block Party, their fourth album, cleverly titled Four. I really... It was a little bit of a letdown, considering I really liked their first two albums a lot. Their third album, which was uh, very different, grew on me. And then the singer had a solo album that was uh, very electronic. And this album, Four, that came out was... 
just underwhelming. Then, uh, what else do we have? The Killers latest album. Oh my god. <laughs> it is not good. <laughs> like, I'll be honest, I really liked Hot Fuss, I really liked Samstown a lot. Day and Age was okay, and then they come out with this album, which is The Killers' take on adult contemporary, and it has lyrics that make Taylor Swift go, wow, that's bad. <laughs> like, Miss Atomic Bomb, making out We Got the Radio On, is one of their lyrics. Along that, with, that actually made me shudder, like, involuntarily. They also have, I don't want your picture on my cell phone, I want you here with me. That's deep. Yeah, um, I guess. <laughs> then, uh, who else? Uh, bands I usually like. Um, of Montreal, I probably my most listened to band of all time. Their album that came out in January was kind of too weird. They haven't, they had those very sexualized albums. Uh, Paralyt, well, Paralyx Locks is this album, but, um, Skeletal Lamping and False Priest, and, I liked a few tracks on both of those albums, but this album was just, you know, it was a bit of a wash, really. Then finally I have uh, Tedis Andronicus, who is a uh, punk band from New Jersey. And they came out with an album in 2010, all about the Civil War, called The Monitor. But their uh, third album that came out this year was just, I don't know, compared to what they've done before, it was just like, mm, you could do better, Jersey dudes. <laughs> So what what albums let you guys down? Rach? My big disappointment this year, I think, was the new No Doubt um, album. It was, like, I, I couldn't even tell you what the name of it was, to be honest. But a couple of songs came off of it early, and I wanted to like them so bad, and I wanted to be so excited for it. And it was just, it's called Push, Push and Shove is apparently the name of the, the album. But it's just, I think that a part of me might just want them to put out, like, another like, Return of Saturn or something, and or Tragic, Tragic Kingdom, Kingdom. Yeah. and this new stuff just wasn't there, I don't know, it, was, it made me very sad, and also made me feel, like, really old, because... This is the second time you've called yourself really old, and you are the, definitely the youngest person on this podcast. So old, I'm so old, I, like, I hosted a dinner for 15 people last night and my body feels like it's broken. I'm old. I'm old on the think, inside where it counts. Rachel, do you think that the, um, the no doubt their kind of underwhelming release this year has to do with the fact that Gwen Stefani has just been going solo for so long, singing songs about bananas and shit, you know? Yeah, I wonder. I Part of me is like, did they just get like get together to put this album back out for like as a total gimmick? It just didn't. It, it wasn't fun to me, and it felt like they were. It didn't seem natural. It felt kind of forced, and I think that that could be because of Gwen Stefani's extensive, um, extensive solo career. All I know is it made me sad. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think she's just been doing something different for the last, like, what, 10, 12 years since No Doubt did an album. Um, you know, like, I, Gwen Stefani's solo career doesn't sound almost at all like, like the No Doubt that I remember and love, uh, to me anyway. So I feel like maybe she's just, she's sort of moved on and going back didn't work out so well. 
You can't go back home again, if you will. Uh, were there any others for you, Rach? That's the that's the standout. I tend to if I tend to not dwell on that kind of thing. And also, I like most things that I actually do start listening to. So, all right. Um, I have to say, Darren, you mentioning Block Parties Four reminded me that that was an album that existed. Like, I, I can't call it a letdown because I've never been a big Block Party guy, but mm-hmm. I'd completely forgotten about that album. And I was like looking over albums I listened to from this year and probably scrolled past it a few times <laughs> in preparation of this podcast, and still didn't remember it was a thing until you mentioned it. Um, so it I can't call it a letdown, but it was it was not that strong an album. Yeah, it doesn't really have any tracks on it either that I think I'll add to my top tracks playlist that I listen to when I travel places. Yeah, uh, um, for me there were two two albums that really let me down. Uh, one, I'm going to start with the one that's less controversial. Uh, the Magnetic Fields' new album, Love at the Bottom of the Sea, was was really just bad. And that's that's coming from a fan of the band. Like, I mean, Magnetic Fields are one of my favorite bands. 69 Love Songs is one of my all-time favorite albums. I've loved their No Synth trilogy. They did uh, I, uh, Distortion, and Realism, which were all great albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the band, and I was really excited to, for their new album to come out. And it was just... It was bad. Uh, and it's, it's funny, because it's the first album since uh, the 90s, the mid-90s, that the band has done without some sort of gimmick attached to it. You know, 69 Love Songs was all about... Uh, love songs, obviously, and, and doing different styles of that. I was all arranged alphabetically. Every every song started with the, the word I, and it was part of the No Synth trilogy that I just mentioned, where they didn't use synthesizers at all. And so they've, they've kind of, like, for the first time in over a decade, let themselves free, and it was bad. Like, I just want them to go back to, to constraining themselves in weird ways <laughs> and make music that I like again. <laughs> um, I liked Take uh, a gimmick out of a hat, damn it, Stephen. Yeah, Merritt. exactly. Just do something weird. Like I don't know. All of them are set during the Civil War. Like you, you mentioned that for uh, Titus Andronicus, or, or or something to that effect. Just do something weird, Stephen Merritt. I, I know you have it in you. Um, I liked Andrew and Drag off of that album was one of my uh, songs that I kept going back to this year. But literally, like if if that song ended and the next song on the album started after it, I was like, oh right, this was a terrible album. I need to get out of here quick. Uh, I just had like a viscerally negative reaction toward it, and that was really disappointing to me um, because I love the band. The other one that I had for my letdowns is going to make Rachel mad. Um, and Rachel oh, don't do it, Jordan. For a minute, uh, but Mumford and Sons' oh. sophomore album was a letdown for me. Uh, their first album was one of, if not my favorite album of 2010. Um, I loved him to death, and Babel was it, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't. Like, don't you mean Babel? <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't bad, but it was by no extent as good as their first album. And, I mean, I, I wouldn't even go so far as to call it a sophomore slump. But I was so excited for this. This was one of our things, Rachel, when we made the list at the beginning of the year. That was, like, the things in 2012 we were most excited about. And it did not live up to the expectations that I'd set for it. So that might be my fault, but it was one of my letdowns this year. Yeah, with Mumford Sons, I know we talked about it before, but... I mean, I think I was kind of lenient on the album before I gave it a shot, but I truthfully haven't really listened to it since then, and I don't know, when I do hear it on the radio, I'm just like, eh, especially especially the single I Will Wait, I just really cannot get into. And my one thing with Mumford & Sons, and one of my friends pointed this out, and I can't get it out of my head now, is that the singer very often sounds like he's trying to put too many words into a sentence when he sings. And I'm like, oh, crap, he's right. 
I think um, as I've been thinking about the year in music and writing my list that this since this podcast is going to be released on Friday, you guys can all check out uh, Darren and my music list at rubyname.com. But as I was as I was writing my list this week, uh, I realized I think Mumford sort of created a subgenre of folk that I'm not sure was really there before, which is sort of this loud, bombastic, uh, you know, almost more rock-influenced version of folk. Mm-hmm. And I think at least two bands that we're going to talk about in a little bit this year, um, The Lumineers and The Monsters and Men, created albums that would be Mumford-esque in terms of the, the type of folk they were doing, but that were way better than Mumford and Sons' album. So I, I'll give them credit for at least popularizing what I'm calling like this epic folk subgenre, but they got outclassed by at least two other acts trying to do the same thing this year. So that, that has to make it, uh, their album a letdown to me. Yeah, I could see the uh, the paling comparison to other good artists of the genre and good albums of the genre coming out this year really having a big effect. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that really did it with uh, anything on my top ten list versus letdowns. Um, but yeah, definitely, if there are a lot of folk rock albums coming out or indie folk or, I don't know, post-rock. And I, t- I tend to find those albums because I, I'm, I'm kind of a big folk guy, as anyone who's read my my list will notice. I think a good three or four of my top ten lists are uh, could be classified as folk albums, mm-hmm. and several more on my songs list come from folk albums. So, I mean, I'm it's a big genre for me. I'm a big fan. Um, and I think, yeah, that... Several Mumford-influenced bands came out and outclassed the band that influenced them this year, which is good on them. And we'll talk about, like I said, at least two of them in a bit. Yeah, and, uh, I think you're harsh on Mumford, Jordan, but that's, I, that might I'm just be I'm waiting for you to sound off on it, Rachel. I, well, you know, I didn't want... I, I almost don't even want to justify you with the response, Jordan. Um, I thought the album was really great. Um, I agree that it probably wasn't as great as Sigh No More, but part of that is because, you know... What was so there was something so new about Psy No More in that, like at that point, there I don't think that there was a band that was doing something like Mumford was doing, and it was a really great and moving album. I think that Babel is a similarly great album um, and an interesting effort to come out after Psy No More. Uh, I enjoyed many of the songs. I didn't have a huge problem with I Will Wait. Um, like you seem to have had Jordan, uh, I mean, Darren, but, um, I just love them. I love them. They're cute and they're British. And like when you can rock out that hard and like a banjo and a standing, like standing bass, I think that you can basically do no wrong in my book, but <laughs> yes, well, your, your tendency for musical bias is well documented both on the podcast and, uh, on the website, so I don't know what you mean, Jordan. I don't know like, what you mean. Like, I think, I think if uh, Florence Welsh released an album that was just like her on the toilet, you'd be like, "This is the greatest thing I've ever heard." It's it's very likely, <laughs> yep, very likely indeed. All right, um, so that you guys don't kill each other, uh, let's go into <laughs> the top albums that we can all agree on, or at least two of us can, because I didn't listen to all of these albums, truthfully. Yeah, and I think I, I think there's always one odd man out on these. Uh, to start things off, let's talk about Frank Ocean's Channel Orange, an album that I really, really got into recently. I didn't think I would get into it at first because I'm, I don't really consider myself an R&B fan or listener. But then I had uh, one friend who just kept saying, oh my God, Darren, you have to listen to this album. It's so, so good. And I'm like, yeah, sure, R&B. I don't like R&B. And he's like, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so after enough egging me on, I downloaded it, 
And the first few listens, I'm like, oh, this is pretty good, you know? And then lately, we've just, this friend and I have just been going back and forth about what tracks we think are the best and how great the album is and all things of that nature. And I really do think it's a great album for something that I really thought I wouldn't get into. Um, very innovative. It has a total of 17 tracks. A lot of them are interludes and, uh, you know, just minute long diddlies. Some really grandois tracks like uh, Pyramids, the nine minute long centerpiece of the album. Uh, let me talk more about Frank Ocean. I didn't, I haven't listened to anything he previously made. I know, Jordan, you said you had, right? Yes, um, and I think part of the reason that Channel Orange ended up, it was on my uh, Bad Religion, also, it was on my songs list, but it did not end up making my albums list. And I, I may be the only one out there who thinks this, but. Uh, I thought his uh, mixtape from last year, Nostalgia Ultra, was better than Channel Orange, and that that was my number four album of last year. So I think that might have influenced uh, the way that I perceive Channel Orange. I actually totally agree with you, Jordan. I was going to say the same thing. Um, I liked this album. It was not as easy to get into for me as the last one from last year. Um, but it was good. Yeah, I think, I mean, don't get, don't get me wrong, just because it's not on my top ten albums list. I thought it was a great album, um, and Frank Ocean is, is one of my, like, of the last few years, one of my favorite artists, I think. He's he's made, you know, uh, watch the, his, his contributions to Watch the Throne, the Jay-Z, Kanye West albums, were uh, mm-hmm. one of them was on my top ten songs list of last year. Uh, Nostalgia Ultra was on my top albums list, and Channel Orange is on my songs list, so... He's he's been consistently one of my favorites over the last few years, and I think the heights of Channel Orange are very high. I think Bad Religion is a fantastic song. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Pyramids is really good, but it just it it felt even though I think that at its best it was as heartfelt as Channel Orange, and I think uh, again I'd, I'd, I'd cite Bad Religion is probably the most heartfelt song on the album. It didn't feel quite as personal to me as Nostalgia Ultra did. I'll have to check this uh, Nostalgia Ultra mixtape out. Really uh, yeah, I highly recommend it, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll see to it that that it becomes available to you because it's excellent. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let me see. I guess closing this on Channel Orange, or I liked how it had very different styles because you have kind of the songs you expect to be on an R&B album, like uh, Thinking About You. And uh, I thought Bad Religion might fit into that. I really like that song. And that doesn't mean anything negative. It's actually, those are two very great songs. And But then you had like tracks like uh, Sweet Life, which were a little more toned down. Um, what is it? Uh, Super Rich Kids, which features Earl Sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. I really like that one. And then uh, Pink Matter with Andre 3000 from Outkast on it. And... Yeah, to go back to the song Pyramids, it's just so interesting because it has the the clubby first part that I really like, and then the toned down second part with John Mayer on guitar. So. Yeah, I mean Pyramids. I think I think you already said it there, and it's sort of the centerpiece of the album. You know, everything mm-hmm. sort of sort of builds to it and then detracts after it. Um, and I think I think it's it's great, uh, and and it's it's epic, and it's it's two parts sort of complement each other very well. Yeah, it's definitely a great song, although I haven't listened to it as much as the other tracks just because of its length, and I kind of get, like, ADD on my iPod. Um, 
But yeah, any anyone have closing notes on Channel Orange before we move on? Uh, no, I think I think it was a very good album from, like I said, one of my favorite artists in the last few years, and good on Frank Ocean, and I hope he keeps making great music. Okay. Uh, the next one, uh, I have not listened to this album, The Lumineers. Uh, Rachel Jordan, you have the floor. Yeah, Rachel, why don't we start with you on this one? Uh, I loved The Lumineers this year. That was a great find, a great new addition to my very short list of constantly re-listened to albums. Um, they, you know, they had, okay, so they had Hey Ho, or Ho Hey, or Hey Ho, or whatever the hell it is. Ho Hey. Um, that, you know, blew up, was everywhere, on commercials, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that what's great is that the rest, like, that honestly isn't even one of the better songs on that album. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. No, I, I, I wouldn't put it in my top three on the album. Um, and I just think that they're, they're great. They're a mix of, of a, of a good vocal and a great, like, attention to detail on songwriting and this really interesting mix of, like, nostalgia, which I always go for, but with a sound that doesn't make you just, like, want to die. Um, so I really liked them. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, I've sort of, I've sort of classed them in what I'm calling an, an sort of epic folk. Uh, that's the genre signifier that I came up with, I think. If not on this podcast, then while well, I think I think I might have mentioned it all right in my list, and that's sort of how I'm classifying this this Mumford Lumineers of Monsters and Man like confluence of of sort of folk earnestness with more uh, rock and roll bombast to it. Um, and I think that the Lumineers are, are a very distinctly American entry into that in a way that, that the other bands aren't. Uh, it's they sort of got a yeah. I, I would just say a, a more American feel. I really like the way that they they bring in. Um, sort of the stomping, uh, the the cheering in the background of a lot of their songs. I think Hohei most prominently, obviously, uh, which even implies the uh, the cheering in the title. But I think it's just it was a great folk rock album. It was um, had some of my favorite songs of the year, Hohei uh, among them. Uh, I think Dead Sea is a standout, probably my favorite on the album. Oh, I think Rachel probably Dead yours sea as well. Is my favorite. I love that song. I love it. Yeah, so I, I think it was just it was a great album, um, and it was that was it was their debut. It was a very strong one for them. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they what they do in the future. All right, uh, I guess I'll go on to the next album, which is Celebration Rock by Japan Droids, and I listened to this album uh, quite a bit. I only started listening to it recently. But I really liked it off the first listen. It just has a ton of energy. Um, they kind of do the whole, they shout everything that they're singing in a similar way to uh, Titus Andronicus. And let me see. Yeah, basically, there's not a real bad song in the album. The only thing is that some of the tracks can blend together a little bit. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd agree with you uh, on the, the blending together. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a rock album in a way that I think it may be the, the only album that I would classify as like a real old school rock and roll album in 2012. Um, but I mean that in a good way. I think, I think it's just, it's a, you know, it's a fist pumping good time throughout. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't mean it in too negative a way. I meant like, yeah, it's a fist pumping good time throughout, throughout on like every track. 
But it is one of my top <laughs> ten albums of the year. It's not like a, all the songs sound the same. It's like no, all the songs sound good the same. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think there's a consistency to it. Um, I really like the. I mean, the story of of Japan Droids is one that that makes the album play even better to me. You know, they they were gonna break up um, and sort of self release their album posthumously after they at, because they just weren't going anywhere. And then uh, that was their first album, Post Nothing. And then uh, a record executive heard and was like, no, this is great. I'm going to put this out. And they got, you know, a lot of critical acclaim. They've been touring off that. So Celebration Rock really feels like, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be here. We're really living it up while we're here and we're enjoying it. But it also, um, it's sort of nostalgic for the moment in a way that I think is really interesting and cool. Uh, mm-hmm. And almost sort of a meta commentary on rock music in general, right? Because it's 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 all about like, Let's, you know, we love drinking and partying and having a good time, but they're also, like, thinking about the future and thinking about how, like, these are memories worth savoring now because life's not always going to be like this. And I think that's a that's a cool way to approach the rock album. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. Like, some of the lyrics are very, you know, like, oh, party, 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 you know, keep drinking. But then randomly they'll throw out something kind of profound and more introspective. And it's hard to tell if it's introspective of the band because I didn't know that Kendrick's story. That's uh, that's a feel-good story. Yeah, so, it's like, the, you know, they were so close to, to being dead, if you will, to, to just quitting the band and going off and doing other things, and now they're, you know, uh, it's sort of a, a what-if career, if you will. I think that's that's how I described it in my in my album's list, and it's mm-hmm. it's a feel-good story, and I think the album really, it's got a carpe diem feel that I think is really great. All right, uh, you can read more about that album on my top ten countdown. Is it going to be on your screen? It is. It's uh, those of you who've been reading the list will uh, already know because this podcast is going to come out after our lists are up. Um, it is my number four album. Uh, so in my top five, even I thought it was fantastic. I think it's actually my number four too. Funny story. Weird. Ooh. All right. Uh, <laughs> I guess next let's move on to uh, Alabama Shakes, Boys and Girls. Again, an album that I did not listen to, so Jordan Rachel, again, you have the floor. Uh, Rach, do you want to go ahead and, and start off with this one? Sure. The Alabama Shakes were another really interesting find. Funny story, um, my firm, my my job at my job where I work. Um, at your real person job. At my real person job. Um, we have a whole team of people whose main job, it's actually funny that you mentioned it, a large chunk of the former management team for REM, whose main job is to um, talk to artists and musicians and get them to sign on to um, our campaigns. And they're really successful. And many, 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 many months ago, um, the guy who runs that team, um, I was talking to him and he was like, do you like Alabama Shakes? And I was like, no, I don't think I've heard them before. And he's just like, oh, they're great. They're going to blow up. Their album's fantastic, yada, yada, yada. Like, And they had signed on to one of our campaigns, um, which was a campaign against Backpage.com, which was using their online ad section to sell children for sex, which was real fun. Um, so the Alabama Shakes, or just Alabama Shakes, no the, right? They signed on to the campaign, and I was like, well, I guess I should check them out. And then I did, and they were great. And then there was like an added bonus of I went to see them. I went to see Free Fest, which is a big music festival down here, um, and they were amazing. Like they were so great live, and I really like to use that as a barometer, which I think is why like electronic music doesn't do it for me because it's like it's just a dude on a stage with his MacBook. 
But <laughs> Alabama Shakes were they were great. I love that the lead singer is just a kind of Liz Lemon looking rock star. Um yeah, with a voice like a hurricane. Jesus. With a voice, I know it's it's insane. Everybody knows about my preference for strong lady vocals, and they don't disappoint. And they have the great rock and roll background to back it up. And I, I adore them. Yeah, I think um, the way that I describe this album in my top ten list is sort of swamp rock with soul. I think they've got a really interesting mix of like CCR type, you know, swamp rock and and a more. Uh, R&B, Otis Redding, uh, Aretha Franklin type of vocals in there. And it's a really interesting combination um, that I don't think I've heard anything really like before. And it's just, the, the album is, it, it, it rocks. It's got, you know, sultry vocals, but but Brittany Howard can sort of belt it out and destroy everything when whenever she needs to. And it's just, yeah, it's a really interesting mixture of sounds and a really strong, I, I mean, this is a band that, that this is their first album, but they've been around for a little while, sort of, I think, playing the clubs and, and getting to know each other in terms of, like, what works and what doesn't for their style before they even recorded their debut. And I think that really shows on the album. Um, you know, it, it's great. There are great uh, performances by virtually everyone on it. I mean, I, I've already said Brittany Howard has, you know, a voice like a hurricane, and she just knocks it out of the park on every track. She, you know... She can do whatever the song needs, whether it's more of the sultry or, or more of the power, uh, I don't want to say power ballad, but more powerful vocals. Um, but Heath Fogg's guitar is fantastic. Zach Cockrell is amazing on the bass. Um, Steve Johnson is, is an excellent drummer. So it's just, like, it's a band that I, I literally went and said, like, I need to find out who plays every instrument in this band because every one of them is great. Like, they're, every piece individually is fantastic. But it's even better. Like, they just cohere so well as a whole that I think it's it's a really impressive album and it's they're another band that this is this is their first album and I I'm really excited to see where they're going. All right, uh with that let's move on to Of Monsters and Men. The album My Head is an Animal and I again have not listened to this although I've heard very good things about the band so I'll probably get their album or albums if they have several. Uh Jordan Rachel. Rachel, why don't we start with you again? Okay, uh, much like the Lumineers and Alabama Shakes, um, this was a new find for me. Um, this is their first full album, right, Jordan? Yes, so this, this is their first full album. Um, they, they released it last year in their native Iceland, but, uh, Iceland. <laughs> but it, uh, Iceland! <laughs> but it came out in uh, the rest of the world in this year. Yeah, and I just again, I, I really liked it. Um, I was introduced to it by a friend. Um, unfortunately, had to uh, not follow through on the on an offer to see them live, which I really regret now because I've gotten into them more and more ever since that. Um, I just, I love. I'm also in addition to being a sucker for like the strong lady uh, lady vocal. I also love the kind of duet format. Um, yeah, and I think I think that had a big year this year, and probably never better than it was on of Monsters and Men. Yeah, and it was just so great and so honest and so just just good music. Just it was just good music. <laughs> what what cutting <laughs> insight, all, Rachel? That's all I've got to say. This about album that. was good music. <laughs> um, well, obviously, I think I think everyone, Darren, you probably heard it, even if you don't know, Little Talks, their their big single. Yeah. Um, is fantastic, and it's, I think, sort of emblematic of what they do throughout the album. 
Mm-hmm. It's sort of, you know, it's got the big thundering chorus and the more quiet and, and almost like personal, sometimes almost whispered uh, verses. And I think it's it's a format that's that's a little bit Mumford-esque, uh, something we've been talking about a lot this evening, because I think it's it's become more of a big thing in music this year. Um, but I think they, they really make it work. And they've... I think there's there's a, a wide range that they're able to do within that sort of format that they that they exhibit throughout. I also I think I've said this I think I've tweeted this before and I've said this a few times to friends maybe one of you while talking about this album. Uh, it's it's one of the albums that was it was resequenced for its U.S. release and I think resequenced very well. Um, usually we talk about you know sort of as if it's destroying the purity of an album when it's resequenced. I always think about, you know, the U.S. releases of the original Beatles albums and how they, they mess with the track listings and they sort of mess with the, the flow of the album. Mm-hmm. But I think in this case, the, the album was resequenced in a better. I think it has a great flow, um, and I, I wouldn't want to listen to it any other way. So that's maybe a weird thing to call out as, as excellent, but I think one of the good things about the album. Well, I'll definitely have to check that one out. Yeah, I would highly recommend it, Darren. Um... Let's see, next top album, Come of Age by The Vaccines. Uh, I listened to this album a lot two months ago when it first came out, and I was a very big fan of The Vaccines' debut album that came out last year. And they came out with another album only less than a year later, it seems, or maybe about one year later. And yeah, again, it was a very impressive album. I They didn't exactly do the same thing with the reverby vocals and the... Uh, standard indie rock sound this time. It has a lot more of a retro sound on those tracks. And, um, yeah, some of the favorite songs of mine are uh, No Hope, Teenage Icon. Um, the song Change of Heart, Part 2, sounds quite a bit like the other song the debut. Uh, Ghost Town, all good songs. And, yeah, they try something new, and it really worked for them, I think. Yeah, I, I think that Come of Age sold me on the vaccines as a as a going concert, if you will. Um, I I liked their their debut last year, not as much as you did, and not as much as my little brother did. Um, both of you were pushing the vaccines on me. Um, you know, when it, when it hit your list last year, Darren, I was like, well, I'll have to check that out. And my little brother was really into them, so uh, I liked it. It was it was a solid album. But Come of Age has really uh, made me sit up and take notice of the vaccines as an album. I think. I think you're exactly right that they play with a lot of retro sounds. Um, mm-hmm. There's almost a surf rock to a lot of the early tracks in the album. Um, yeah, like Teenage uh, Icon. I always knew. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think that's an interesting thing, and there's a there's a bit of a of a glam feel to some of it too. And I've got a huge soft spot to, for uh, for glam, especially "I Wish I Was a Girl," which is thematically and sonically very much a glam song. Um, I like the uh, but, I like the instrumentation of that song, but the lyrics are just ridiculous. <laughs> Um, I think, I think ridiculous in a great way. Uh, it's very, yeah, I actually, I think lyrically the vaccines took a big step up between their first album and this one. Um, obviously like it's, it's one of many albums this year and one of many albums that we've talked about on this podcast already that, that are sort of of by and about like being in your mid twenties, right? Uh Like come of age is all about maybe I need to grow up and be an adult at some point. I think boys and girls is about that to an extent. The Alabama shakes album, um, Mm -hmm. celebration rock is about that to an extent. It was a big, it was a big year for that musically. And, um, I think come of age is the best of those albums. Uh, 
it's got the diverse range of sounds, mm-hmm. and like I said, I think lyrically they set it up, and sonically they set it up. It was just, it was a better album than their first, you know? It was the opposite of a sophomore slump in my mind. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I do love the self-deprecating lyrics on Come of Age, especially uh, Teenage Icon is all about like self-deprecation and No Hope. The first track is all about, you know, when you're young and bored and 24 and don't know who you are no more. Great, because I'm 24 and I relate to that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, I, I'm right in the middle right now because I think there's a there's a line. Um, in fact, I think it, it's one of the first lines on Alabama Shake's album about being you know 22 and surprised you made it to 22. And then Cup of Age has when you're young and bored and 24. And I'm like, but I'm 23, guys. Someone say about me, <laughs> which I think probably indicates right there in that sentiment uh, why all these you know mid 20s anxiety albums are are hitting. So high on my top ten list. <laughs> yeah, I like the uh, always having a song to relate to your age. Um, to move on to our final album of the top albums countdown that we all agree on, uh, we have "There's No Leaving Now" by the Tallest Man on Earth, an album that I actually uh, wrote about today for my top ten list. And uh, we discussed before how it's kind of just a very solid Tallest Man on Earth album that doesn't really try anything too new. But the main thing I notice is that there's just a few tracks that have touches of new instrumentation. Like the first two tracks have a very, uh, very muted electric guitar. The title track has a piano. Um, Bright Lanterns has a uh, pedal steel guitar in it that makes it sound very country. And the, uh, I think the single, 1904, has a little sparse electric guitar note thrown in. And I thought that was uh, very nice because it distinguishes the album from the this album from their first two albums. And, yeah, it was just like, even when he didn't try to uh, do the, do anything new, and just strum an acoustic guitar for four minutes or so, it sounds great. So It just works for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'll agree with you that there, there are touches of something new. You know, I, I say, I think ultimately There's No Leaving Now is basically just another really solid, uh, the third really solid of the three Tallest Man on Earth albums. Mm-hmm. Um, Revelation Blues was on my top songs list uh, because the album was one of the last cut from my albums list mm-hmm. um, and I think I picked Revelation Blues as the best song because it, it did feel like something new yeah, that uh, might there, be was, the, there was the guitar the woodwind it was a more it was a more sophisticated instrumentation than he's usually doing um, mm-hmm. whereas There's No Leaving Now the title track that was my probably my second favorite on the album um, was sort of a, a warmed over version of Kids on the Run from The Wild Hunt his last album mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it, obviously. Uh, it was one of my favorite songs of the year as well. But it did, it felt more like uh, what we'd heard before from him in a way that Revelation Blues didn't. And yeah. if, if, if that and the, the, the woodwind, the electric guitar, the more instrumentation becomes the direction that he moves in, I don't think I'll be upset at that evolution because it, it was excellent. Yeah, definitely. He can, I mean, it's not like a major change. It's not like, you know, he's throwing drums or anything like that. <laughs> Nothing crazy like a drum. Nothing crazy like drums or a bass guitar. But I think it's like he's doing these subtle changes. So if he did throw in like, little by little on his more more albums, he could really pull it off. And I saw him in concert in July, and it was fantastic because it's just the one guy in Tallest Man on Earth, Christian Matson, and acoustic guitar, and that's all. He just plays acoustic guitar and sings for forty minutes. Yeah, I saw him at Coachella last year, and it's, yeah, it's just him on the stage with his guitar, like, this is some music that I wrote for you guys, yeah. and it's just, 
It, it was a great experience. It was one of my favorite uh, of the sets I saw at Coachella last year. Um, he's, you know, people, I don't think it's possible to get through a single review about uh, Charles Man Earth that someone mentioning Bob Dylan. Like, it's, oh, yeah, it's the comparison that always comes up. And it's fairly apt, you know? I think he's a great songwriter who doesn't really need anything but a guitar to get it done. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, with our praise of the Charles Man Earth, now let's go to albums that uh, none of the two other contributors listen to that we would recommend to listeners. So, um, Rachel, would you like to start this section with albums that you thought were good that neither Jordan and I have listened to? Sure. Um, I have a couple, um, and I'm going to start with one that's kind of unexpected um, and a little different in terms of the discussion of the albums as we've been moving forward. The soundtrack for The Hunger Games was actually really amazing. I don't know if either of you saw the movie or checked out the the accompanying soundtrack, but it I was... I saw the movie. I have not listened to the soundtrack. It was... It's It's got a strong, strong group of contributors. Arcade Fire, Kid Cudi, December... Now, are there original songs on it? Yes. Hmm. Because I, I, I saw the movie and I don't distinctly recall any of those songs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it, and it was really, it was really good, and you know, it was produced by T Bone Burnett, and it was, um, I thought it did a really good job of kind of updating and putting a sound to um, the kind, of, the, the plot, especially in terms of like, not not to get super geeky and literary, but in terms of like the geographical setting, um, the sound really came through. Um, and that, I mean, I think that that was seen also in the um, in the score for the film as well. But I think that the soundtrack really brought it to like a, a next level. Unfortunately, the song that like people really really know off of, like the main single for the for the the film, was like a Taylor Swift song that like wasn't <laughs> wasn't the greatest. Like not awful, like, especially considering it's Taylor Swift. Like not an awful song, but like definitely. A, not the strongest on the album either. Um, so it's definitely worth a check out. It's pretty, it's a, yeah, it's like, yeah, like a lot of favorites are on there. Okay, it's I, a really good I looked it up to, to check. Um, this, so only three of the songs were in the movie. It's uh, songs inspired by the movie. So that's yeah. why I, I didn't recognize any of the songs in it. <laughs> yeah, but that was good. Um, other ones that I like, um, I talked about my love of lady vocals earlier. Um, Grace Potter and the Nocturnals um, had a really great album this year. Um, most people will have probably had heard the song Stars coming off of that album. Um, I know that it was on a bunch of different television shows recently. Um, but it's a really strong song and a really interesting um, – the deluxe version of the album features a remastering of it with Kenny Chesney, which – not usually my thing, but it actually worked really well. And it's a song that works in a lot of different contexts. It worked in that country setting. It works in a kind of more rock and roll setting. And it's also just a really moving and powerful song, in addition to all of the other great songs that are on there as well. Um, moving into, like, pop kind of stuff that I doubt that either of you really listen to at all, um, Electra Heart by Marina and the Diamonds uh, was fantastic this year. It was my favorite, like go to get shit done at work album um, because it's just fast and super poppy and um, raunchy as hell and just so great. Um, I enjoyed that one a lot. Pop and raunch combined is interesting to me. Usually you'd expect to be going for more mainstream appeal if you're doing straight up pop music. Well, it's not really, pop is the wrong word. It's, it's, 
it's like club music. All of my, not to sound awful, all of my gay friends really love Marina and the Diamonds. <laughs> like, it's kind of fast. It, it's, no, well, it's really fast. It's fast and loud and, like, really upbeat most of the time. And it's just good. It's, it's good. Um, in that vein as well, um, Icona Pop uh, was another kind of new popish kind of cl- I hate using the word club music because I'm not like as as previously mentioned I'm like 80 years old I don't go to the club but uh <laughs> I just picture you standing in the club with like a martini spilling and you're like I hate this place <laughs> I hate everything about this right now it's giving me anxiety attack just thinking Gerald about- take me out of this club <laughs> Gerald is your manservant of this joke clearly um but Icona Pop was good it was in a a summer full of kind of shit like Call Me Maybe and all of that crap that came out. I'm glad Iconop- we uniformly hate on Call Me Maybe. <laughs> Icona Pop was really strong in terms of like being really poppy but still being um, interesting and not bland. So those were the big standout orphans for me that we haven't talked about yet. All right, uh, Jordan, do you want to go into your orphans? Absolutely. My orphans are going to be made up of... Originally, I was going to throw some albums that I don't think are getting much love in the season into my orphan section, but then I realized that most of my favorite albums of the year aren't getting talked about on the podcast, and that's a better use of my time. Mm-hmm. So, um, albums from my top ten list that we didn't talk about that everyone should check out. Uh, the Menzinger is on The Impossible Past, which is in a year that was surprisingly solid for punk, considering it's not 1977. Um, the Menzingers was the best punk album of the year. It, it also fit into that wheelhouse of young people talking about like mid-twenties angst um but in a really different way it's sort of a a hardened wizened like i've been through my 20s uh, and i made some mistakes and they were good and they were bad and you know i learned from them and i'm not upset that i made them it's a really great album um it's sort of like pain uh tinged nostalgia fueled like punk music which is mm-hmm. if that doesn't sound up your alley Probably, probably, it's probably not the album for you, but if it does, I like nostalgia-tinged pain. <laughs> <laughs> then I would, I would strongly recommend "On the Impossible Pass" by the Menzingers. It's a, it's just a great album. Um, I'll look them up. Also, Fiona Apple hasn't gotten much love on this podcast so far, and her album, uh, which I'm just going to call "The Idler Wheel" because the the title is too long for me to have committed to memory enough to to bring it up off the top of my head here. But it's. She recorded it, and it's a very loose-sounding album. It sort of feels like she just sat down and, and played these songs out in, in a very, like, improvisational jazz sort of way. And knowing Fiona Apple's method, I sincerely doubt that's how it was done, because she's usually a very, uh, you know, tightly constructed songwriter. But it feels very loose um, and very confessional, and she, you know, she uses her, her vocal range very well. Um, and it's just... It's an album that, you know, like, it was released to rave reviews, and I said, oh, okay, like, whatever, it's a Fiona Apple album, I haven't really been able to get into her before, and I listened to it because everyone was telling me it was so amazing, and, you know, at first I thought, oh, this is alright, and as I, I listened to it more and more, it, it really became one of my favorite albums of the year, um, and it's, it's made me go back and listen to her previous albums with new eyes and to appreciate them more, so if, you, if you've liked Fiona Apple before and haven't listened to The Idler Wheel, check it out. If you haven't, Listen to this album. Let it grow on you for a while because it is a bit of a grower. Um, and I think I think once you've sort of gotten into the rhythm of it a little bit, it'll really stick with you. Um, 
Another one, we've talked a lot about how I'm sort of a folk guy, um, and we've talked a lot about sort of the epic folk that I liked this year. But in terms of straight-up folk, I don't think there was a better album this year than Anais Mitchell's Young Man in America. Um, she's just another one, Rachel. You like powerful lady vocals. She's got her some powerful lady vocals, but it's really just a, a, a sparse, stripped-down folk album. Um, it's full of really beautiful songs. Uh, some of them are very sad. Some of them are really uplifting. Uh, it's just... It's a great album, and um, if you like folk music, check it out. Um, and finally, my number one album of the year that we have not talked about on the podcast, it was my favorite this year, um, and I think it's, it needs to get some more love, is Spiritualized's Sweetheart, Sweet Light, which is uh, written while, while the lead singer was going through um, chemo treatments for a degenerative liver disease that he has since apparently recovered from, fortunately. But... It's just it's a it's a very sometimes bleak but ultimately uplifting album. It's it's a combination of a lot of different genres. It's an album that's not afraid to have you know a nine minute leading track uh, and and has my favorite song of the year in the in the closing track. So long, you pretty thing. So if you haven't checked out Spiritualized, Sweetheart, Sweet Light, um, go read my top ten list where I I say all my thoughts on it much more eloquently. Um, and then go check out the album. Uh, Darren, what about you? Uh, the Orphans, I would recommend. I'll start with um, a British band named Mystery Jets, which I had, it had been recommended to me by Last FM for a while, but I finally checked them out this year. Uh, and since they were a British band, I kind of expected them to have that very general British indie rock sound that you come to expect from bands like The Libertines, Razor Light, uh, Pigeon Detectives, all of them. But this... Album that came out this year, Radlands. It's very American influenced. There's actually a couple country tracks on it, which is interesting for a British indie rock band. Um, random songs about Christianity in it, like Sister Everett. Um, it's really just an interesting album for a band that you would. And I've listened to some of their earlier tracks, and they really do have that generic pretty British indie rock sound. But this is very, it was recorded in Texas. It has a very um, American sound almost the entire way through. Occasionally it does have tinges of the British sound. Like the opening track sounds a lot like a, could have been done by Radiohead in some parts. But yeah, it's, uh, if you're a fan of British indie rock and you're looking for something new, I very much recommend it. Uh, I mentioned him, or I mentioned this band before, they have a misleading name. Uh, Mike Snow, which is three guys, none of which are named Mike or Snow. Um, they're an electronic-esque band. They, uh, I guess they are just really electronic since it's just three guys playing synthesizer and one guy sings. And it's not electronic in the uh, sense they use drum loops or anything like that. Some of their songs almost sound like they could be piano rock because they're very piano heavy. Um, some of their songs sound like dance tracks from the early 90s with that very distinct keyboard part. Um, I think uh, if you've ever heard the song One More Chance by Block Party, that sounds what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, so they kind of exploded onto the indie, Indie-tronica scene this year. And I, I think they sold out two shows like last month in, in uh, D.C. And yeah, it's, just, uh, it's one of those albums that are, where I really like it because none of the tracks sound similar. So you're never at any point being like, oh, wait, what's this track? Because nothing really blends together, but it does flow together well. 
And um, the last album, which is actually my top album of the year, is uh, In Our Heads by Hot Shift. And I actually haven't really listened to them before. I've heard their name everywhere. I know they're a very well-established uh, Indian electronic band. And I guess maybe with the uh, with the retirement of LCD sound system, that's going to get my you know weird. Let's kind of talk through our drum loops type music. And uh, Hot Chips' latest album is really good. After a few listens, I was really hooked on it. I've listened to a lot of songs from it just over and over, like um, the first two songs. Um, there's this uh, track called Night and Day I find incredibly catchy. They've just really mastered the whole idea of, uh, you know, you start with one drum loop, then you add another, you layer on top of it until you, you just kind of have this collage of synthesizer, and it's very kind of dancey as well. Uh, lyrically, some of the lyrics are very sincere, and some of the lyrics are very dirty, which is kind of funny, considering how nerdy this band looks. It's just like a bunch of nerdy guys saying some very dirty things, which I think is kind of funny, but... I definitely recommend Hot Chips this album to everyone, except uh, if you don't like electronic or synthesizer or heavy music, you may not like it at all. <laughs> so. I, I don't know. I'm not a huge electronic guy, and I actually I haven't heard Hot Chips' newest album, mm-hmm. but uh, I like them as a rule. Yeah, it's not. I mean, the thing is, like, I like a lot of electronic bands that aren't, you know, they're not like what you hear at a club with the generic techno. It's more like they use a rock structure and they sing in their songs, they have lyrics. They have choruses and bridges, but just instead of guitars, they have synthesizers and drum loops. So, anyone have any more orphans before we can move on to our final section, our favorite songs of the year? Well, I actually, unfortunately, have to have to step away from the podcast now. But I did wanted to give a shout out to two, real quick, to two bands who I left out of my orphan section. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them have put out EPs and not full albums, and I think they're great. And I'm looking forward to a more sustained effort from them. The first one being Daughter, and the second one being Young Bloodhawk. Um, both very, very different bands in and of themselves, um, but really interesting sounds. Daughter is a kind of like super low-key kind of effort and young blood hawk is just a young rock and roll band um and y'all should check them out but i have to go i hope you guys have fun finishing out your conversation i'm i'm interpreting this departure as right. you not liking any songs in 2012 so i like no <laughs> songs it's very bad all right darren and i will carry on in your absence we'll carry on bye guys bye rachel Right. So, Darren, what were some of your favorite songs of 2012? Uh, all right. The top songs that did not make my top albums. Um, I guess first I'm going to have to give a shout-out to the post-rock group Godspeed You Black Emperor, who haven't made an album since, oh boy, a very, very long time, maybe 2001, 2002, uh, Yankee UXO. And after, I think, a decade-long departure, they came out with an album this year called Alleluia, Don't Bend, Ascend. Which, uh, like their album that came out 10 years ago, doesn't have their usual political style of vocal samplings. And, you know, it's very dark, broody music still. But it's, it is different. I mean, two of the tracks on the album aren't that, uh, you know, they're just kind of drony. But the first track on it is called Mladic, like the uh, Bosnian Serb war criminal, Rakko Mladic, which says <laughs> a lot about the band. And it just is, it's about 20 minutes long, like, most of their songs, and it just kind of builds into this, like, incredible crescendo about, like, ten minutes into the song where, I don't know, it's hard to describe, like, 
this is the heaviest thing they've ever done. Like, it actually uses a pretty generic electric guitar, like, just riff at one point. And then it just gets more and more chaotic. I guess, I don't know, it's probably supposed to symbolize the end of the world or the Balkan Wars or something. They're, they put themes in their music without using words or something. But it's, despite being 20 minutes, I can listen to it multiple times, which is quite a feat. Um, what else do I have? There's a band named Maps and Atlases that came out with an album this year called Beware and Be Grateful. And the album as a whole I wasn't thrilled with, but there's a song on it called Silver Cell, which I think might be the longest track on the album. And about a minute or two into this track, it just totally changes direction from being an acapella track to they add one of the, they're kind of a math rock band, so they have the weird drumming and syncopation. So they just throw in this weird drumming part, and then the singer keeps singing, and then the last two minutes, just this very weird sounding guitar solo. So, it's definitely a listen to track. Uh, Two Door Cinema Club, a band whose debut album in 2010, I loved pieces. Uh, I found their second album a little underwhelming. I saw them live, they're great, but, uh, there's the track Handshake on their album that came out this year called Beacon. Um, I just really have listened to that song disproportionately more than the rest of any other song in the album. And even though it only has like, throughout the song, it just has like these three synthesizer notes going out in the background and the drumming gets like kind of into their dance rock stuff again in the end of the song. It's hard to exactly quantify what makes the songs good, but I definitely was a big fan of this particular track. And uh, I think the, one of the first albums I reviewed this year, or ever for review to be named, was um, Go Fly a Kite by Ben Queller. And there's a track on it called Jealous Girl that sounds a lot like his uh, older stuff, very rock. It actually sounds like it could have been passed off as a, uh, a Weezer song, almost, like circa the Weezer Green album, maybe. And it's uh, for an album that kind of you know, had its ups and downs. This is a very good track. This is up. So, Jordan, what were your top songs that didn't make the cut? The album cut, that is. Yeah, I, I'm. I was going to again. I was thinking about drawing um, from things that didn't make my songs list either. But then I realized uh, some of our listeners probably don't read the website and might miss out on some of these songs. Uh, two of the ones I want to highlight are from albums that at one point were I was I was I was considering one of my top albums of the year and ended up slipping off of my uh, albums list as I as I was really narrowing down at the end. Um, Clear Eye Clouded Mind by Not a Surf, um, which was off their album, which had the best uh, my favorite album title of 2012. And the title is actually drawn from a lyric in this song. Uh, the title is "The Stars Are Indifferent to Astronomy," which is just a, a great title for an album. Um, and it's it's just it's an album full of just really solid indie ro- indie rock songs, um, which is what Nada Surf's been doing for a while. Um, "Clear Eye, Clouded Mind" is my personal favorite, but there are a lot of other great songs on the album that people might pick above it. So um, check out the song, check out that album in general. Uh, Another one that I wanted to call attention to is This Dead Bird is Beautiful by Lost in the Trees. Lost in the Trees are, are a band who, uh, their album this year, A Church That Fits Our Needs, was sort of a, an homage to the lead singer's mother who killed herself in 2009. Um, oh, wow. So it's a, it's a bit of a heavy album. But it's it's also a very, very hopeful album in, in parts. And This Dead Bird is Beautiful is sort of 
reconciling the idea of, of his mother's death with uh, with the idea that she's not ever going to leave his life and he's going to be able to carry her with him. And it's just, it's a really beautiful song. It's, it's sad, but it's also uh, sort of uplifting. Um, and it's just really pretty, and you should check it out. Uh, Lost in the Trees is the band. This Denver is Beautiful is the, is the song. Um, I thought Bruce Springsteen's album this year was, was fantastic. Probably the best album he's had in a decade, at least. Um, and Wrecking Ball, the title track, was, was my favorite off of it. Um, it's just a damn good Bruce Springsteen song, which, which puts it up there among the greatest songs of the year by default, pretty much. Um, so if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan and you haven't checked out Wrecking Ball yet, it's definitely worth your time. It's, um, it's the best album he's had in quite some time. And I wanted to, I wanted to highlight Give Out by Sharon Van Etten, who was one of, it was one of the first albums that I reviewed this year, um, and it stuck with me throughout the year as one of my favorites. And it was, it was uh, also one of the last albums to get cut from my, from my top albums list. So the song that I wanted to single out is Give Out off of the album. The album is Tramp. And I thought it's just... It's a beautiful song. It does uh, most of the things that Sharon Manhattan does very well uh, within its runtime. So I would check that out as well if you ha- if you haven't checked out Sharon Manhattan. Um, yeah, those are those are the four biggest ones that I wanted to highlight. All right. Um, I guess to close out this podcast, since I don't really have um, too much else to say about songs or music, it's it's all dead to me now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, there were some ups and letdowns in 2012. You know, we talked about those anticipated albums that let us down, but there were redeeming qualities as well. And I think we ended on our high note of great albums and great songs. And yeah, I think I think 2012 was a fantastic year for music. Um, something that that I think I'll probably say every year, honestly, because there's if you look hard enough, there's going to be good music in any year. Um, yeah. But I think there was a lot of good music in this year. Um, if, if those of you who are listening to the podcast haven't read our lists, you should check them out at reviewbename.com. Um, as always, you can let us know your thoughts on, uh, what we said in the podcast or things that you think we should talk about on future podcasts, following us on Twitter at reviewbenamed or, uh, emailing us at reviewbenamed at gmail.com. Um, with that, I think we're ready to wrap up, right, Darren? Oh yeah. And I'll so be posting will... my, uh, top 10 songs and top 10 albums this week. Yeah. So, um, check those out on the website and... We will be back next Friday with uh, our Best of 2012 Comics podcast. So we'll be we talking about our favorite things in comics in the year 2012. So for now, have a good weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, guys.